book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 10, and then from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And Luke, writing in the book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, thanks be unto God. You may be seated. But let's pray. Father, your word is alive. And we pray that you would make it alive in us for Jesus' sake in whose name we pray, amen. amen. A young father heard a commotion in the backyard and he looked outside and saw his daughter and several playmates 
in a heated quarrel. When he intervened, his, his daughter called back, Dad, we're just playing church. Yeah, yeah, children, children, they catch, they, they, they catch more and they, they rehearse more what they, what they see. And unfortunately, fighting churches are more common than uniting churches. Segregation is more common than integration. But today, we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is, is not a word that we use much today, but what took place on Pentecost 2,100 years ago is needed just as much today as it was then. And if you ask, I'll tell, I will tell you, it's because if you ask why, I'll tell you, because it's something that happened. What happened on Pentecost, that, it's, it's what Hollywood movies fantasize about. See, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm talking about the unity that the culture and the world is looking for is born in the church on Pentecost. You see, we're living in a time where there is a lot of talk about unity, but everything about us is being used to divide us from the color of our skin to the suffering and pain of a pandemic. Things about us are being used to divide us. See, Pentecost is the time when the Spirit of God interrupted the flow of human history, bringing the knowledge of God into the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ, making alive a people for himself from every nation, tribe, language, gender, and class. He said, if the church is to have a voice in the midst of a culture drunk on the wine of a pseudo-unity, then we need to know what the work of the Spirit is, what activates the Spirit's work, what makes his work so valuable, and how do we know that he's working in us? So what is the work of the Spirit? Look at verses 1 through 4 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So first, as we consider this, what what the work of the Spirit is, think about who he is. The Spirit is God. So his coming is like God's coming with the noise and, and fire. So all through Scripture we read how God comes and, and you see these terrifying images. And in, in Psalm 18, here's one of them. In Psalm 18, verse, verses 7 through 8, we have this one image of God coming. And he's coming to answer the distress cry of, of, of the psalmist. And listen how the psalmist describes God's coming. He says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. 
Now that ought to change your prayer life when you call on the Lord. <laughs> you see, he comes, the spirit of God comes as God comes. He comes in, in the power of God to do the work of God. Pentecost, see that's the Old Testament. In the Old Testament it was called Feast of Weeks. And there were three times, there were three times a year that the Jews, the people of God, were to appear before the Lord. And that's, that, so that's why in the text you see this cosmopolitan fill that, that there are people from, from everywhere, they're from every, every nation. There's this mix of people in Jerusalem. Well, Passover is that second feast. Passover is, Passover is the first feast, rather. And the 50 days, Pentecost, that's what Pentecost means, 50 days later, that feast of weeks occurs, they come again, and then there's the, the last, the third one is the feast of, of booths. But Pentecost, 50 days, it's a time of recognizing the harvest. It's a time of, of gathering. So here's, here's the picture, here's the picture. It's Jesus, the Passover lamb, has died and he's raised from the dead. He appears to the disciples for 40 days. Tells them to wait. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes to begin God's harvest. So what is the Spirit? What is the Spirit harvesting? What is he, what is he gathering? God's people. His people. So do you see, begin to see what the work of the Spirit is? The work of the Spirit is unity. It's unity. Unity brings order out of chaos, which is the function of the unity the Spirit brings, to bring order out of chaos. So look at the, look at the text. 120 people are gathered in one accord, and they're set upon by the Spirit of God, gathering others for the purpose of telling the wonderful works of God. And the tongues, the tongues are bridging the division, thus giving rise to the unity of the Spirit, the Spirit that, that the Spirit of God brings to all flesh and to heaven and earth. And if you remember, this, so this is the reversal of Babel. Because you remember what took place in Babel, at Babel, Nimrod, and, you know, and everybody's gathered, they're building a tower to heaven. When you recall, that their languages, God confounded their languages so that they were divided humanity after that. But here, it is reversed. And the language is now used to unify. The pulpit commentary, this is a comment, it's an old commentary, compiled back in, in, the, in the late 1800s, uh, but it notes this about tongues and, and, and the speaking in tongues about this particular passage. It says this, the significance of the miracle seems to be that it points to the time when all shall be one in Christ and shall all speak and understand the same speech and not only all men or humans, but men, humans, and angels, the whole family in heaven and earth, things in the heavens and things upon the earth, all gathered together in one in Christ. This is what the Spirit of work. So if you want to know, if you want to know if the Spirit is at work, the miracle, the, the miracle that you think is speaking, what a lot of folks think, the miracle, the great miracle is speaking in tongues. No, that's not the great miracle. The great miracle is the unity that the Spirit has brought. So don't look at the tongues, pay attention to the unity. 
And with that in mind, what, activ- what activates the work of the Spirit? Look at verses 16 and 18. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. See, the spirit of God is activated by the word of God. See, Peter says it's the pouring out of the spirit on all flesh that, it's the, that this is the fulfillment of the declaration of God. When God speaks, the spirit works. And we see this throughout scripture in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, the spirit is poised to do the bidding of God. And so the next verse, verse 3, goes on. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, the Spirit of God, at the command of God, does the work of God. We see this true. This is true, too, because Jesus, as he speaks of the Spirit, the Spirit goes to work. In John 16, verses 13 and 14, when the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's the same thing in Ezekiel 37 when the Lord tells him, prophesy to the breath. See, the unity of the spirit happens because it is the desire and declaration of God. But what makes his work? What makes his work so valuable? Look at verses 18 to 21 of Acts 2. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what makes, what makes the Spirit's work so valuable? Well, two things. First, it's that the, if this is a gathering work that saves. You might ask, saves from what? From the day of the Lord. It saves us from the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a reference to the judgment that God will bring upon the earth. And so if the spirit of God doesn't gather you in Christ, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. There's no there's no salvation left. If God if the spirit isn't at work gathering people for God, there is no hope. And we're not gathered to be saved from Satan's anger. But we're saved from the wrath of God. Hallelujah. This is what the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 9 tells us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. 
much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. You see, this is the good, this is the good news of the gospel that the Spirit leads us to proclaim. This is that this this here's this is the truth. So this is so here's the second thing that that makes the spirit's work so valuable valuable. It's because Christ died to bring the spirit's work into our lives. Remember, before Peter stands up to speak, verse four of Acts two said, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter speaking by the spirit says what they are witnessing. What the, what, so what the men of Jerusalem, what the Israelites were looking at, he said, that you are witnessing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when he tells them about calling on the name of the Lord, he, tells, he then tells them who the Lord is. That is Jesus, whom they had crucified and killed. Look at verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what we see is, is that, the, that all of the wonderful works of God, all, all, all of God's mighty deeds, all of his power and his wisdom, it all comes together. It all culminates in Jesus Christ. See, the Father desires us to be one with him. Jesus gave his life for us to be one with them. The Spirit's work is to make us one. And the question for you and I is this. Do you honor, do you honor unity with your brothers and sisters in the same way that God honors our unity with him? Do I? Do I honor unity with my brothers and sisters in the same way that God honors my unity with him? Do we, as, as, as a church, do we honor the unity with, 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 with ourselves, with, with one another, in the same way that God honors our unity with him? That's the question. Which leads us to ask, how do we know? How, how can we be confident that the Spirit is working in us? Look at verses 5 through 11 of Acts 2. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at his sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So you see... The outpouring of the Spirit gives to us an uncommon unity. The, the, unity, the unity is uncommon because it brings together something that has long been dead, long dead human community, 
Human community that is in harmony with God and each other. That's what the Spirit of God is bringing together. So did you notice in the text, it says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They were from every nation. They're from, so they're, they're from everywhere. And they're there, but they had no life. And it's, what, it's like what Ezekiel addresses in, in Ezekiel 37, dead human community. As you recall, the bones came together, but they had no breath. Look at verse 7 and 8 of Ezekiel 37, where he said, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. This, by the way, is, is, is the plot to The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. But, he says, but there was no breath in them. You see, dead human community, it can look like they are together, but the Spirit's life is not in them. It's a pseudo-unity. And even though, even though in our times there are those who would seek to reach the heavens like Nimrod with a pseudo-unity that's devoid of the Spirit of God, yet Christ's ascension and his pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh calls us to new life and a unity that resists going back to the valley of dry bones where there's the appearance of life but no breath. Did you notice in our Old Testament reading that Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the breath? And it happens there in Acts chapter 2 in the same way. As, as, as the breath comes, you know, it's the Hebrew word is ruah, and, and it's the equivalent of the Greek word pneuma in, in, in the New Testament. And it, and it, and it, and it is this, it's the word for, for spirit. So as in Acts, in Acts chapter 2 verse 6, we, we saw they were coming together, they came together, but they, had no, they, they, they weren't together yet. It isn't until you get to, the, to where 3,000, the 3,000 come then you see they have life. So in the Old Testament reading, he's told to prophesy to the breath. So you see what the scripture is talking, and did you notice too that in that, as he's told to prophesy to the breath, it's not in them to produce the life. It's not, they weren't to look within themselves to find the life because it wasn't there. They're dead. So you see, the way we know the Spirit of God is at work in us is that we are always moving toward unity. See, we're always calling on the Spirit to make the dry bones live. So what Ephesians 4 tells us when Paul, after talking about being, walking worthy of the calling that you have received, and he, he brings it together in verse 3 of, of Ephesians 4, and he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the, and in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain. Pour all your passion into this. He said, what happens if we don't maintain? Then what? 
Well, Dr. Paul Brand, he was a surgeon and a missionary in India to, to the two leper colonies many decades ago. And Philip Yancey, who was a journalist, they both got together and, and they wrote this book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And, and he makes this great analogy about unity using the human body. He says, using the analogy of the human body, there are some diseases that can spread infection throughout the body of Christ. The mind can become swollen with pride. The heart can grow cold and indifferent because of sin. The digestive system can get clogged by sterile theory and unapplied theology. So the body can't digest what needs to be turned into energy or eliminate what needs to be released. When that occurs, we start to fight among ourselves or we lose our equilibrium and find ourselves unable to stay balanced. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that clog the digestive system of the church right now. Things that we find hard to digest and you can't turn it into to energy for the body. Now, as I talk to other pastors, and they're all having to put out fights over distancing and masks and vaccines and critical race theory, and the 1619 project, and, and politics. You know, things that <laughs> might make you feel like you're playing church. And I'm not saying that we don't need to understand these issues, because we do, but we make every effort. We're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. As we're understanding, as we seek to understand these things, the, the goal isn't, isn't to have to, to, to rightly define them, but it's to pursue peace. All our energy is poured in that. All our passion is poured into pursuing peace since God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And if we take this to heart, if we take to heart this truth, this truth of the gospel that Jesus gave up his life for ours, then you don't want these things to stand between you and your neighbor. And the gospel says that Jesus suffered being dislocated and cut off from the Father so that you and I could be one with him. Jesus suffered becoming an enemy of God so that we might become sons and daughters of God. Jesus honored, he honored this unity by giving up his life. And if that's where we start, then we dare not let these lesser things take us back to the valley of dry bones. And may the Lord help us to speak to the breath. Breathe on us, O breath of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are our only hope. We pray, Lord, that the unity that your spirit is at work giving to your people, Lord, not only catches fire here in among us, but Lord, that it, that it infects every believing heart everywhere. 
that we would care and carry the same passion and the same desire for the unity of our brothers and sisters with you in the same way that you, Lord Jesus, gave yourself for our unity. It's only by your power, O Spirit of God, breathe on us now. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.